That was beautiful. Um, I think if you could remember this one point, this one thing, go home, ingrain this in your mind, one takeaway today, what this song is about is that your life is a gift. Your life is a gift. That you were created and designed by God and that your life is a gift. And not only that, you were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. He paid the ultimate price for your life. And I believe that what we do with our lives and how we use our lives is our gift back to the Lord. Because I'm created by God, because he's given me the gift of life when he didn't have to. Like, I didn't have to be born. But I'm born and I'm on this planet. So my gift back to the Lord is a life surrendered after him. And I believe that that's the message of today. Your life is a gift. You're not your own. Jesus bought you with the precious blood. I reminded when we first got married, um, I lived with and, and was kind of like immersed into Filipino culture because like my, um, my, my in-laws are Filipino. My, my father-in-law is a pastor. And of course, my mother-in-law is this like fiery Filipina preacher. She's like 97 pounds, but she like preaches the word of God with passion and fire. And so I remember there was a season where um, a lot of people had been donating their stuff to the church. So people were giving like fridge, like a refrigerator. Does the church need a refrigerator? Here's a refrigerator. Now we owned our own property. It wasn't like how we're in a school. We had a big facility, a big building. Um, and so that was our church in the heart of downtown LA. We need a fridge, you got a fridge. Oh, I have a toaster. It doesn't work really well and the knobs aren't really that great, but the church can use the toaster if it needs it. Um, we had people giving us old clothes. Like it has a few, you know, like it's old, but you know, if the church can use it, you can have it. So when you give a couch, oh, it's just a small kind, like a small hole, but if the church can use this couch, they can have it. Pretty soon, there is this room full of, you know, everybody's junk. So my mother-in-law gets up, and like the fire of God and the passion of God, she said, why are you giving the church broken stuff? Why are you getting the church your used junk? You should be giving God your very best. You should be giving God a new refrigerator. You should be giving God a new couch. We don't want your junk. And I'm like listening to her like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she's saying this. But seriously, she has a point. I think so many times in church, we give God like out of the leftovers, like what we have left. Like, I don't know if I can serve on worship team because like, I don't really have much time. And I guess I can squeeze an hour a week in for that. I don't know if I can go to that small group because I don't have, I don't know if I can give that much. I have 20 bucks. You can have my 20 bucks. But in the Bible, it talks about giving God from our first fruits. We give God our very best because he deserves it. We don't give from our leftovers. I'm reminded of David. David in the Bible is such an amazing anointed worshiper. And he said, should I give to God that which costs me nothing? Our gifts back to the Lord, our lives, um, that's a costly gift, but it's worth it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So would you stand with me as we conclude our parable series? We're going to read God's word today. And I'm sure you have all heard this story. So we're going to, um, I will read and you can follow along. This is taken from Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also with the one with two talents gained two more. 
But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of whose servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. I see you have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathered where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here, this is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and I have gathered where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on the deposit with the bankers. So then I would return and would have received it back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance and whoever does not have, even they will have been taken away from them and thrown, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is God's word. Will you please pray with me? Um, Lord, we just come before you this morning. Lord, I'm reminded that every time we read the parables, Lord, it, you say, he who has eyes to see, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, let him see. And so, Lord, would you open our eyes, would you open our ears, Lord, would you reveal the deep truths into our hearts so that we would walk away changed, that we would not walk away um, having regrets or, or wasted talent or wasted life. Lord, we invite you, we invite you into this time. I pray, God, that you would um, just speak. Um, speak your word to us. We are here. We are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. I think I'm going to transition up here so I can see your faces. <laughs> okay. You seem further, but at least I can see you. Um, I just have a few observations. I know probably many of us have heard this parable before, and we've read it before, whether it be in Sunday school, but we know this parable. And so what I would point out, just a few observations, and then I'll ask you some questions, but that first observation that we see in this parable is that the master, and we'll call the master God because that's who the story is talking about, that God, point number one, God is a generous God. And so we have to define what is a talent. A talent is actually 20 years wages. If you look, um, like I was reading a few different commentaries, but they said it, it could be like in today's equivalent of money, the talent can be measured anywhere from 600,000 to like a million dollars. That not only does the master gift them with money, he also gifts them with time. And we can see that because the master gives them money and then he goes away for a long time, he leaves. So we, we can correlate money and time with the word talent. The actual word talent in the English language is derived from this scripture that talent today actually means talent like your natural giftings, your natural abilities. Um, it is associated with your money, your time, the opportunities that God places in front of you, maybe your relationships, like you're a husband or a wife or you have children. Um, basically, a talent is your life. I think another thing that's interesting to note, and I think it's hard for us in our day, is to note that the talents are divvied out, but they're not equal. I, I think sometimes we can have a hard time with that. Like, how come he gets five, but he gets one? 
But what I would point out in this story is that these slaves or servants, they started with nothing, and now they all have something. And not only do they have something, but they have a very generous gift. So when we think of like, oh, five, two, and one, we think like, uh, like small, smaller, smallest, but what we really need to think is like, this was a large amount of money. It was a large amount of money, a larger amount of money, and then the largest amount of money, do you see? So we need to flip our thinking and just realize that God is a generous God, that people had nothing, and now they have something. Um, if we look at our lives and we can think like, what has the Lord given me? What has the Lord given you? God is a generous God. What has he given you? I think our, my second observation is that God entrusts us. That culturally in that day, for a master, a really, really wealthy man would take slaves and give them a ginormous gift was like unheard of in that day. And this is probably the shock factor. Like when Jesus tells this story, the people are like, whoa, that's amazing. The servants actually have a chance to practice stewardship. In a way, we could say that that gift and that receiving was their defining moment. When they received it, what did they do with it? God has given each of us gifts and he lets us steward them. And when we use them, when we use our gifts for God's glory and for God's kingdom, we get to partake in what he's doing. That God allows you and me to be partners in the advancement of his kingdom. That's super cool to think about, that you and me can make a difference because the Lord allows that to, for us to steward our gifts. The question here is how are you stewarding God's gifts? How are you stewarding the gifts and the talents that the Lord has given you? Number three, we all have a responsibility to respond to God's generosity. It's at this point in the story where we see a split. So there are three slaves They've all been given amounts, and now in this part of the story, we see two different things happen. The two servants, the ones that were given five and two, they jump. And the Bible says that uh, Matthew 25, 16, it says, the man who received the five talents went out at once. He went out at once and put his uh, money to work at once. And I think a lot of times, uh, when we have a gift or an opportunity, we tend to wait, we tend to hold back, we tend to reserve. We have a tendency to wait for the right moment, the right platform, the right conditions. I feel like we could just psych ourselves out and the Lord is saying, jump in, jump in with both feet and run to what I've called you to do. What I love about this, what we see with these two servants is that they're their talents are actually increased. The one who had five doubled, the one who had two doubled. And I love that I've seen this in my own life. I've seen it in all throughout my ministry and just hanging out with different people. I've seen that God has increased people's capabilities, strengths, grace. He's given them above and beyond like what they ever thought they can do. And I, I can kind of look back on my life and think like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Like where I started and how the Lord has brought me along, I can say that the Lord has increased capacity. Um, they were faithful with a few things. We see that what they had they were faithful. They applied faithfulness to their gifts and their talents, and God increased them. I have this, um, I think, so I've been on worship team since I was 12 years old, but it was when I was 17 is when I actually started to lead the worship team. Our youth pastor went on to plant a church, and that youth pastor could, like, lead worship and be the youth pastor, so then he was gone, and my parents were the youth pastor, and I was like, oh, no, um, it's me, so let's just do this. Anyways, it was 
it was like terrible, okay? I think I was playing keyboard, I think we had a bass player, we had somebody else playing guitar, we were just all fighting like to, you know, get the rhythm and sing and the kids are, are like, what the heck is happening? It was so awkward. And um, anyways, we were, that's how we were doing the worship team. And, and I walked out of the youth building one night after we had cleaned everything up, we were locking up and like half joking, but also totally serious. I walked down, I remember I like walked down the steps and I was like, God, we need a drummer. And then some little kid, he's like 13 year old, I can drum. I'm like, what? What, you can drum? You can drum? Okay, you can, you've been in the youth group this whole time, you've seen us suffer and fight for the rhythm, and you can drum? Oh my gosh, you need to come next Wednesday, next Wednesday, I'll send you the songs. Oh my gosh, come here at six. And so I was like, I set him up, we were so excited. So he came, he came to church the next Wednesday, and let me tell you, like, he was terrible. Like, <laughs> terrible, he did not know how to play drums. And so I was like, okay, but I asked, right? I asked for it. And then he's like, I can play. So I'm like, maybe the Lord's doing something here. So I was like, hey, so like, like, are you taking lessons? Or like, what's happening? What's going on? He's like, well, I go to my friend's house, and he has a drum set. So I play drums at his house. I was like, oh, okay. So just start getting lessons. And uh, what I want you to do is for this first, like the first week that you're on, can you just play the first song? Because that's where we, that's where everybody claps, and that's kind of where we need the rhythm, and it can be loud and messy, it's fine. So, and I was like, and then when we like clap, do you see that? That's a snare. So when we do, that's when, so when we clap, that's when you hit that. And so we were trying to work with him, and he came, and he played that song, and then I said, we're good. The next two songs, the slow songs, we got it. Thank you. Come next week and get ready to play that fast song. So he came the next week got ready to play the fast song, it was the same, you know, same week after week goes by. Then we give him the first two songs, and now he can play through the whole set. And within that, that six months of Tim being faithful and available to say, I can play, and I'll practice, and I'll show up, and I'll do what I need to do, I'll be teachable and correctable, within that first six months, he became the best drummer in our church. And then after that, after that, we went on to be like a traveling worship team, and he was like the best drummer in our valley, and everybody was like, oh, Tim Boone is your worship drummer? He's so amazing. You know, and he ended up being this like crazy sick musician. Straight out of high school, he went to Music Institute in Los Angeles, started at the advanced level, so studio recording drummer for different country artists. Um, he plays drums to this day. He support, he, I think a, a drum company supports him. Um, it's crazy, and we all, all of us that were part of that group, we all laugh at the day when Tim Boone said, I can play drums. <laughs> and how God increased. There was potential there. There was talent and potential. Some of us keep trying to fight stuff that we don't have any talent at, but there was talent and potential, and God has used him to play drums. And it's so cool to see the Lord increase capacity like that when we're faithful to apply our gifts. I love it in Ephesians 3.20. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask, imagine according to his power at work within us. That I can look back on my life, I can look back in some of my friends' life, and we're like, can you believe like God is doing this? Can you believe that like it's just crazy to see the Lord increase capacity and take you to a place that you never thought um, that thought that you could go to before. Now I want to talk about the third servant. This is the one talent servant, the servant that actually buries this valuable gift. And I would point out that we are not responsible for the amount that we've been given because we've all been given different amounts. I would argue that I'm a one talent person that probably most of us are that is extremely exceptionally exceptional. That's those five talents that we've all been given something. We're not responsible for the amount of talent that we are given, but we are responsible for what we did with the gift. And that's the point of this third servant. And we can all think, we can all, there's nothing more sad, and I'm not going to take time to tell you some sad story, but we can all think in our minds of those people 
who are wasted potential, wasted lives. Like what a heartbreaking story for someone with so much potential, so much talent, so much to give, and it's wasted. We all know those people. What I think is interesting is in, in this story, we see that this third servant did nothing. In verse 24, the servant did nothing because he believed the worst about his master. He said, I knew you were hard. I knew you were a hard man and, and that you invested where you have not sown. And so he, he believed the worst about, about the God who was generous. I believe when we forget, when we forget how generous God has been, we believe the worst about God. Can I get a little less, um, maybe reverb in this one, or just turn it off for now? Thank you. We see in verse 25 that the servant is actually afraid. 25, so I was afraid. And I went out and hid your talent in the ground. So here's what belongs to you. I was afraid. He was afraid. He was controlled by fear of failure. I believe that what grieves the master's heart is not that he, the servant invested and that he failed, is that he failed to invest at all. Let me repeat that. I believe what grieves the master's heart is not that this servant invested and failed, it's that he failed to invest at all. And I think that's really interesting to come to grips with the fear of failure. You have a talent, you have a gift, you feel like the Lord is calling you to do something, but you're afraid. And that's real. And I would say um, that there was a time in our lives where when we moved to Hawaii, that was a big faith step when we moved here, but we told Pastor Aaron, in five years, our heart is to plant a church. And really the way God orchestrated things and the way everything timed out, it was like, like pretty much almost five years that the Lord said, okay, now you're ready to plant. And with the blessing of Pastor Wayne and with the blessing of Pastor Aaron, like we got the green light, like, Whatever you need, like New Hope loves you and supports you and believes in you, go for it. And so we're like, okay, super excited. But we were pretty comfortable. We were at New Hope Hawaii Kai. It was a much larger church than this and um, super comfortable. And I had, we were so excited getting ready to step out and do what God has called us to do. And I get this phone call from like one of my dear like beloved sisters who like the Lord has used her to speak into my life. But several times she calls me, so I'm excited to talk to her and just like share, like, man, this is what's going on. And she said, oh, Renee, sis, like I'm calling to say, I don't think you should plant this church. I'm afraid for you. Like, you need to stay here. You need to be developed more. You are not ready. Pastor John is not ready. So I was like, uh, okay. Like, I wasn't expecting this. So then I'm trying to, like, you know, turn it positive. Make it, like, no, God has called this, and, and here's why, and let me share. We're trying to, like, share with her. And she's like, what if you fail? Like, you will fail. And what if you have to move back to L.A. with your in-laws? And I was like, okay. So like we hung up the phone like with that. You know, usually like when you have a conflict with someone, you can both walk away like, I feel better, you feel better. Like we kind of feel better about it. This wasn't that. This was like, uh, well, we're planting. And she's like, yeah, we're not supporting. And I was like, cool. <laughs> cool, friend. <laughs> Our friends can do that. So don't be that kind of friend, okay? <laughs> be cautious with the things you speak into people's lives. Anyways, the thing is, I believe that God used that conversation, though. I walked away from that, and I kind of shared everything with my husband. He's like, oh, man. I'm like, I know, right? Okay. But then I said, babe. That's what I call him, babe. Babe. Uh, I said, babe, like, but, like, what is failure? Like, if we plant this church and, like, 50 people come to it, 
and they all love Jesus, and they're all serving the Lord, and they're walking with God. Like, is that failure? And my husband said, no, no, that's not failure. I said, okay, so what if we plant this church and like maybe a hundred people come and they all love Jesus and they're all serving the Lord and they're growing and walking with like, is that failure? And he said, no, no, that's not failure. And I said, well, then what is, what is success? Is success like, hey, we have a thousand people now. We're successful. Is that success? And he's like, no, that's not success. And I said, okay. And at that moment, we both decided, like, we would rather fail serving the Lord and taking risks and moving forward in what he has called us to do. We would rather fail in that than to be disobedient and comfortable and not do what we're called to do. And the crazy thing is, is like, I was like, babe, even if we move back to L.A., that is not a failure. We've resolved in our hearts. We'll go back to L.A. We'll be wherever God has called us. That is not a failure because you understand that God can take your worst broken, messed up, jacked upness, your worst failures, and can turn it around for his good and his glory. And that when God's glory touches your brokenness, when God's glory touches your failures, it it moves and God does something and he blesses the body of Christ and encourages the body of Christ with that. Think about Christ and his brokenness on the cross, that through his brokenness we have life. And that's how it works in the kingdom. So get out of the fear that you've let control you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Dr. Howard Hendricks of uh, Dallas Theological Seminary says, my fear is not that you would fail, but that you would succeed in doing the wrong thing. The thing about this story and about this servant is not the sin of commission, because we can do sins, we can do bad things, but this is the story of the sin of omission. It's a story of not doing what you are supposed to be doing. There are two kinds of sin, doing the wrong thing and not doing the right thing. Not doing anything. I'm reminded we had um, a, a lifeguard for 12 years, like up, in, I come to Hawaii and I don't do anything in the water, it's pretty crazy, but all leading up to the, before we came here, I was a lifeguard, did all kinds of stuff from coaching all different kinds of teams and all different types of water sports. I worked at a really large facility, open water faci facility, it was a lake. It was, it was a huge, you know, miles and miles kind of lake, and we had a swimming area. Um, I did that for, for about 10 years at the lake. Now there was three types of rescue. So what we had, we had, um, first of all, there was three types of positions. So as a lifeguard in our swim area, now again, the lake is so vast and so big, but we have this little swim area blocked off that it looks small, but it's really not. Okay, so lifeguard one is on the tower and he's got the overview of everything that's happening. And then we have our lifeguard two, in our area and our lifeguard too just walks on the sand right there where the water meets the sand and he's watching for like babies that face plant we've had that happen before like the mom's like talking and the baby face plants and the mom doesn't see it so this is kind of like they're looking for small children for things anything dangerous that happens on the shoreline and then we have the paddle boarder a lifeguard that's way, way, way out in the middle of the lake on the paddleboard. So it's a three-man rotation. It's actually a four-man rotation because it's like 110 degrees out there, so you need a break. So we do. We work a three-man rotation, and then we, we take off for a little break, and then we kind of rotate, you know, every hour. What I found to be true when we were lifeguarding is that there were three different types of rescues. So, you know, you're lifeguarding at this, this lake, and then you see people, like, trying to do something. They're, like, exerting so much energy to swim, and you're like, oh, man, this guy doesn't know how to swim. So the guy on tower is like, hey. And then the, the guy on the stand's like, ugh, I see him. And then the person on the, in the paddle's like, he's in, he's in the sand still. Like, that's yours. So, you know, we kind of all see it. We're just watching and waiting. Oh, I'll go get him, you know. So we, we go and get That's the, the first kind of rescue. 
There's the other kind of rescue where whatever position you're in, you're kind of scanning the water, and then all of a sudden, the side of your eye, you see someone running down in the red suit, running down the sand, and you're like, oh my gosh, what are they going for? And you're looking, oh, I see the person in distress. So you see that lifeguard running for it, and you see it, and then the lifeguard saves them, and they're like, yeah, I saved them, and then you're like, good job, good eye, good job, high five. You know, and you're like, yeah, you feel really good about yourself because you saw it, but then everybody saw it as you were going for it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you got to show them how good of a rescuer you, rescuer you are. Then there's a third, the third type of rescue. And when you see something, I've been out on the paddle board before in the middle of the lake, I see a swimmer trying to make it back. Oh man, he didn't make it. Now I see him, I see him and now he's going under. I can get that paddleboard there so quickly. I can whip off the paddleboard. So now the paddleboard is parallel between me and the swimmer that's already deep down into the ocean. I can, not the ocean, the water, the lake. I can reach down. Now I can see his head as I grab his arm and pull him up, drag his body halfway onto my board, swing him around, I jump on the paddleboard, paddle him in. The interesting thing about this kind of rescue, when you rescue him, it's a big movement, it's a big rescue. And you pull him out and you look like, who's looking? Who can I high five? And nobody sees it. None of the other lifeguards saw what was happening. And it's in that moment that you know, like if I wasn't here today, if I didn't see you today, you would have died. There is the fourth. And it only has happened once. And I'll never forget Memorial Day when we lost a 14-year-old boy. Like, we didn't see it. When did that happen? Did it happen when we were switching? When he's gone, we didn't see it. I believe that God has gifted you with specific gifts, with specific talents. He's placed you in the season that you're in with the people that you're around. And at times there's gonna be ministry or someone who's broken that you're like, hey, could we like all of us love on this person because they need love and you know, we just all kind of hang out with them. There might be times where you're like, hey, can you take them to lunch and just like talk to them and make sure they're good, 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 you got it. But then there's times where you are going to be the only person that sees someone that needs a lifeline. And that God is using you in that season to see someone's brokenness, someone's hurting, and someone that just needs to reach out. That God is using your gifts and your talents, your calling, your placing to be a lifeline. This parable makes it clear that people can suffer when we hurt them but they can also suffer when we don't give our very best and when we don't do what we're supposed to do. The third servant is called lazy. And it's at this point where the master, where the master brings up a third option. Because I always thought this story was about two options. The guys who invested their talents and then the one who didn't. But then the master comes home and he says, you should have done the bare minimal. You could have had least put it in the bank and then it would have gained some interest. So there is three options here. You can invest all that you've got, you can give nothing, or you can at least do the bare minimal because even that's something in the kingdom of God. But we see the contrast here. We see the two, the two servants, that were, they were celebrated and the one with one talent was rebuked. We see that the two servants were, um, that their faithfulness was commended and acknowledged. We see the one servant, he was scolded and you should have done this. We see that the, the two servants were given more and they shared in their master's, like they, were, they shared in their master's happiness. And we see the, the man with the one talent, it was taken away from him. And number four, there will be a day when accounts are settled. I tend to look at these parables, I've heard them, you know, since I was a little girl, 
I tend to look at these parables as isolated stories, as isolated parables of Jesus. But this parable is not just about using your talents. It's about the end of our lives. And in Matthew chapter four, um, 24 and 25, this is a very concentrated teaching that Jesus uses to tell his followers and the disciples about his returning, about the day when you meet Jesus in heaven face to face. It's about being ready. In this, chapters 24 through 25, we talk about the parable of the 10 virgins where five were ready and five weren't. We, we talk about the 10 talents where some use their lives and invest it in the kingdom of God and then the other one has nothing to show for it. And then we talk about the sheeps and the goats and how we can be in church thinking that we're on the right track, but we're not. And so this is, this is, this whole section and this whole chapter and this particular parable is kind of like the end of days kind of stuff. This is about the end, the end. And I think the saddest words in our English language is it's too late. One day we will have to stand before God and give an account for what we did or what we didn't do. I think, I think a lot of times like you have a strong husband like, I love my husband. I, he's the real deal. Like, I love him. But, like, one day I'm going to have to stand before the Lord without him. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't stand on my husband's righteousness. I stand on my own. I can't, like, say, can my kids come with me? No, my kids stand before the Lord by themselves. We all stand before the Lord. And the crazy thing about these phrases in this story, I'm not sure if we have them, but we see the phrases um, with the uh, two, two servants. The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. And when, when do we hear those words? What do we equate those words with? The end of your life. Like when you get to heaven and you're like at the gate and you're like, are we good? And God says, well done, good and faithful servant. But what about this one? Um, do we have the next slide, David? The weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you've, if you've been in the church a while, what does weeping and gnashing of teeth, what does people equate that with? Hell. According to this parable, I am in danger of hell if I don't steward what the Lord has given me. Now, don't get me wrong. We are saved by grace through faith, just as I said at the beginning. You, your life is a gift, and you were bought with a price. This is talking about what you do. See, when you have a life that's surrendered to Jesus. See, it's one thing to say, well, I go to church, and yeah, I believe. That's all good. But if you're not living your life surrendered, you're not saying, how can I use my gifts? How can I use my talents? How can I use what God has given me for his kingdom? And we say, I believe, but it's not changing the way we think if we're hiding and bearing what we have. This suggests that I'm not saying this. This is what this is saying. So what the Bible is saying. Our lives are gifts that we give back to him. And I just want to encourage you this morning. What has the Lord gifted you with? What is your talents? What is your passion? What is your heart? How can God use you? I'm going to call up. We've been ending um, all of these parables with testimonies. I've been so blessed. Um, but could you please welcome up uh, Brother Matthew, as he shares, I guess nobody really calls him Matthew, we call him Matt, as he shares his testimony. <laughs> Aloha everyone, my name is Matt Kanashiro and I want to take everyone back 30 years ago when I accepted the Lord Jesus into my heart. 
My wife Lori came to me and shared that she has been having dreams of me working in government, construction, ministry, or some type of government breakfast. Maybe some of you can relate to this, but I kept on telling my wife not to dream these things and just, just forget about it. But her dreams went on, and she kept on reminding me that, should, that I should seek the Lord, and maybe he's planning something for me. Fording a couple years, my wife, Lori, and I was attending Harvest Crusade at the Waikiki Show with Greg Laurie back in the 1990s. And while we were walking back to our car, a friend stopped both of us and said, Matthew, Matthew, I've been thinking and praying for you. And he wanted me to consider being a part of the governor's prayer breakfast. Immediately, my wife looked at me and said, hey, Matt, you got to call Morris and see what God wants to do with you. Of course, I told Laurie, God doesn't want me. Fording a couple years while volunteering in the New Hope, New Hope parking ministry, Pastor Wayne called me into his office and said that he wanted me to become his director of resources. I told Pastor Wayne, what the heck is resources? Pastor Wayne shared that when he would preach the word through the scriptures to our congregation, he wanted me to take the message record, duplicate, produce CDs, DVDs, books, and translate these into different languages while opening a Christian bookstore called New Hope Resources. I clearly remember telling Pastor Wayne, you definitely have the wrong guy. Well, four years later, I can share with you all, I was a part of books like Indispensable Life Lessons, Living Life Above the Rubble, DCAT, Dream Releaser, Life Journal, and resourcing pastors and churches all over the world. Then, I was in a season which I fell into a tug of war of my heart of staying into church ministry or going back into the marketplace. Thus, one thing led to another, and now I was a part of the office of former Governor Linda Lingo in communications and constituent service for her term. And just last year, in 2018, as a volunteer, I became the steering director for now what is called the Hawaii Prayer Breakfast. I'm here to share with everyone that the Lord is good, and I'm humbled that the Lord brought clarity to my life's calling in the marketplace to show me how to be faithful in the small things, like those long hours in the parking ministries or CDs and DVD duplication. In, in scriptures, we learn that even Joseph had a calling to be a ruler, but learned faithfulness by being by being a slave, and David anointed to be a king while he was still shepherding sheep. Sometimes it takes commitment, sometimes it takes discipline, sometimes you gotta force yourself, but all in all, if you steward the little things God gives you, he will bring you to an incredible place of clarity by fusing together your talents, passions, gifts, and calling, all to be used side by side with the body of Christ just like New Hope Community Church. Thank you. Um, Matt, Brother Matthew, is uh, a council member here um, at our church, and um, he has been such a blessing um, and such a strong support. Um, stuff like when we didn't even know how to use the soundboard, like he, he He's like, I don't know sound, but I'll help. And I love that his heart is to serve. Like, I don't know how, but I'm gonna try. And um, we had a, a staff retreat this past weekend um, on Friday, and we laid out all of the positions and all of the ministries and all of our hopes and all of our dreams as a church. And we put it out on a board. And we have some, some of our names are a lot, you know, but that's not how church is supposed to be done. It's not supposed to be Renee and Pastor John doing everything. That God has a calling and he's brought you to this church to be a blessing. I think if you, if you turn back to your notes, I, I love, I don't know if any of, you, any of you caught that, but Matt said, I went from being a parking attendant, 
Like what senior pastor as big as Pastor Wayne knows parking attendants' names? But Pastor Wayne figured out who Matt was and brought him in and Matt was able to help get these resources out and now Matt is being used in the state of Hawaii um, for our prayer breakfast and it is such a blessing. And so what God can do with our lives when we say, I don't know, I don't have much, but I'm gonna give. On the back of your notes, I put something called contemplation. There will be a day of reckoning. You will have to stand before your Father in heaven and account for what you've given and what you withheld. And so if you can take this week to contemplate, what are my talents? Your talents are your natural abilities. Maybe God has made you strong. Maybe he's made you creative. Maybe he's made you artistic. Maybe he's made you good at business. Maybe you're music. Hey, if you're musical, there's like three of us today on, okay? We need, we need you if you're musical. What are your passions? What do you get excited about? Are you excited about missions? Are you excited about social justice? Are you excited about different relationships? Maybe you're excited about youth or special needs kids. What are the gifts that God has given you? And by gifts that God has given you, I mean the people that he's placed in your life. Your husband is a gift. Your wife is a gift. Your children are gifts. And if I can encourage the fathers right now, that my father was not called to ministry, but when he got saved, a prophetic word was given to him that I have saved you, Joe, so that you can pour into your kids' lives. That sometimes you just being a father and you loving on your kids and encouraging your kids and saying, God has a plan. Everything that I said today, you tell your kids that and what God can do with them. Our talents, our gifts are not just our natural abilities. It's the people that we have in our lives. How are you using your, your talents? Finally, what does your investment portfolio look like? Are you investing and re you got tons of returns happening in the kingdom of God? Are you investing the bare minimum? Like, ah, put it in the bank. At least it'll get some interest. Are you doing nothing? These are things to contemplate this week. If this is your home, we have a place for you to serve. And we believe that God has a calling and, and a special place for you. And so with Matt's testimony, I want to pray over him. I want to pray over you guys. So would you stand with me um, today? Would you uh, reach your hands as we pray over our brother Matt? Lord, I thank you for Matt. I thank you for his life. I thank you for the gifting and the calling and the capacity, Lord, that it has increased as he has been faithful, as he's been on time, as he's been disciplined to, to show up, whether he feels like it or not, that you've brought him before kings and queens, that you've brought the gifting before governors and, and high government officials. But Lord, it didn't happen overnight. It happened because he was faithful. And so Lord, I thank you for his testimony. I thank you, God, that we overcome the enemy by the power of the word and, and, and by our testimonies and by the blood of the lamb. And so I thank you for Matt. I thank you for his testimony. I pray, God, that you will continue to move in his life. And Lord, right now, I lift up our church to you, God. I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would stir up the gifts. Lord, I believe that some of us are sitting on some really special talents, that some of us are hiding it and buried it. And so, Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would remind us, you would remind us of those things that you've gifted us with. And Lord, that we would not waste another minute, that we would not be controlled, that you would release us from the fear of man, you would release us from the fear of failure right now in Jesus' name, that we would be freed up to be a people of action and people of faith. Lord, that we would walk and partake in your kingdom living in that that we would uh, be like those lifeguards, that we would see things, Lord, that you would open our eyes and that we would be lifelines to this broken, hurting um, world. We love you, God. We thank you for this day. We thank you that you are so gracious, that we don't have to walk away feeling condemned, but we can walk away feeling excited because you are a generous God. 
We love you. We praise you. We bless you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. God is good. Amen. 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 Hey, well, would you sing with us with all of your heart? Lift your hands and sing. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my heart. Oh, I live for you alone. Oh, every breath I take. Oh, every moment I'm aware. Lord, have your way in me. Sing it again. Lord, have your way in me. Oh, I give you my soul. I live for you. Every breath I take. Oh, every moment. Oh, Lord, have. Lord. Okay, guys, we love you. We're praying for you. Hey, side note, if you have something on your heart, we would love to meet with you and pray with you, me, Pastor John, Chels, um, any one of us. So be stirred up. We love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Oh.